Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Ben Dobbin with you this morning and a bit of rain around. We'll keep you updated with all that. A very good morning to everybody through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. A lot to get through this morning. We're going to catch up uh, with Samantha O'Toole, the Boulogne Shire Council um, Mayor, She'll join us shortly. Akubra, Twiggy Forest, is that one of the great things uh, that has happened? Another Australian business that he's come in and bought. We'll talk about the Flying Doctors Local Hero Awards back for 2023. We're going to speak with last year's winner, Emma Jackson. And we're also going to talk to Australian Rugby Union new chair, Dan Herbert, uh, after the debacle of Rugby Union. Where is it at? We're going forward. So much to get through and also a lot going on around your state. We'll keep you abreast with everything going on. Um, The rain, yes, as I said, it's been patchy in different areas, but we will keep you up to date and make sure that, you know, people and everybody understands where the actual rain has been. A big show for you. You're with Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. It is Tuesday morning, the 21st of November. Where is this year going? Across rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, we're really lucky to have uh, Boulogne Shire Council Mayor uh, Samantha O'Toole joining us this morning. Samantha, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, man. It's great to catch up with you today. Bit of rain in your neck of the woods. Obviously, there's a lot going on um, on your side of the uh, fence at the moment. And I'm going to get to the water issue shortly, but the fact is that you've got a, some rain, so there'll be some planting going on there. And towns like St George and, 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 and throughout your shire, they're so reliant on the weather. Oh, that couldn't be a truer comment, Ben. Like, we are so agricultural dependent in Boulogne Shire, you know, and our um, successes and weaknesses go on the back of the weather um, cycle. So at the moment, pretty pleased that we had the great weather, you know, the rain over the weekend, although it wasn't completely widespread in the shire. Some parts of the shire had fantastic rain. And I'm sure there'll be some very happy farmers um, over the next couple of weeks capitalising on that. Now, this is quite interesting off the back of, and I understand Telstra predominantly uh, in your ne- in your network, but you, the Boulogne Council has made and done a UHF channel collection for disaster management. I, I think this is such a smart move um, to give everybody a bit of context around this. Their local d- disaster management group, has urged every local farmer to update their property UHF channel to the council um, to enhance communication coordination coordination during natural disasters such as bushfires, floods, you name it. Now, the council understands um, how important it is to have the farming community in, in their district and the communication networks. We know what a shamozzle they've been. Um, we don't even need to go into that. But this is something that now, if everybody has... No mobile phone coverage, patchy or it's down. At least with UHF channels, um, everybody can, you know, communicate. There can be some sort of communication. 450 farming properties, Samantha. It's not a small thing to do, but it, it, it's something that you guys have gone on the front foot with and you've said, right, we're going to chase this. We're going to make sure that we are a big part of this and get a better understanding and we're going to have a collection of everybody's channel. So then in case, and God forbid it never gets used, um, but you will have everybody's contacts in case of these emergencies. 100%, Ben. So this Are You On Channel campaign at the moment is on the back of, we had some fires 
we've had about a dozen, two dozen fires in the Shire over the last few weeks. And it was um, some feedback I'd had from farmers that might have bush brigade units or pull-on units. And they said they'd got a text from QFAS, but their part of their farm is, you know, doesn't have any mobile phone coverage and they didn't come to assist their neighbours quick enough because they didn't actually realise what was going on. And so we're looking at trying to build our UHF um, database, I suppose, right around the Shire. So we can use the bush telegraph effectively as we can during disaster management. So neighbours can come to help of other neighbours, but we can also make people aware of what's going on. And like you say, this creates some redundancy. Large parts of our Shire don't have mobile phone coverage, but when the networks go down, and I you know, I was um, witness to what happened in the Western Downshire, and I did sit through a number of their disaster committees, when you can't actually communicate to people what's happening, it puts them in a very dangerous situation. And so we're trying to compile, like you said, a 450 um, long list of all the UHF channels in the Shire. And I, I just really call out to primary producers in the area, if you think Council already has your number, please ring anyway. We've cross-checked every list that we have internally. But we do know over the last couple of years, there's been a number of properties that have changed hands. There's also been amalgamation of properties. And so it allows sure. us to update yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, um, yeah. the reference to what people call a property name. A number of our properties in the Shire have changed names over the last couple of years. So just make sure all of that is up to date. So when emergency services need to get a hold of you or we need to respond as a disaster committee, we can reach out effectively when we need to. How's it been embraced so far? I would suspect that most people would be very forthcoming with it. Oh, 100%. And so we've also encouraged people to ring the council if that's easiest, but we've sent out reply paid postcards where people can just fill them out and post them back to us if that's the easiest way. And we're hoping before Christmas we'll have this job complete. So response initially has been great, Ben, but hope people continue to participate and provide us with the details that we need. There's a lot going on in your neck of the woods. Um, Water is a huge issue. Um, And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, The federal government are doing everything they possibly can to destroy the Murray-Darling Basin with their plan. Um, They're trying to rewrite all of it, um, and change it. It could almost slash a billion dollars worth of food and fibre from farms and there is action being coordinated everywhere. Now, New South Wales farmers are up in arms, Queensland farmers are up in arms. Is this something you're keeping an eye on? Um, I, I, I mean, I understand the enormity of it. I understand the Blonde River and what a, a proud, proud river it is and how important it is to your community. Are you concerned, Mayor? Ben. I've spent a lot of energy over the last few weeks working on this particular issue um, and working with counterparts across local government right throughout the basin. You know, from a community perspective, my concern is really about the economic activity that that um, potential buybacks may have in our community. And that just really, if you cut straight to the chase, that's jobs. Um, and jobs mean population. And so if we have a reduction of the irrigation areas around the Boulogne Shire, that means there will be less jobs in the future and hence our populations will decline. So this is probably one of the biggest issues that we've faced, you know, and you've been across this issue, Ben, over the last decade. But this particular attack with the um, uh, amendment to the legislation that's going through in the House at the moment has taken a lot of time. I did a delegation down there only a fortnight ago uh, at the Senate inquiry hearing with some counterparts from New South Wales and Victoria and local government calling for them to recognise the impact that they're going to cause on our communities and really fighting tooth and nail to get the best outcome that we can gravely concerned that it's going to pass through the Senate um, in its current state and that will be really devastating if they allow that 450 gigalitres to come to the north, which it was never intended to do, and if they remove the socioeconomic tests, um, you know, they can just grab water wherever it really suits them and that is really concerning to communities like ours. Why why is it that they they don't want to listen? 
It, what, what you say makes so much sense. David Littleproud spoken passionately about it. Why, why are they just hell-bent on not listening? I think one of the big challenges with the Labour seats at the moment and even the Green seats is none of them actually exist within the basin. So they don't see firsthand the pain that they're causing communities. But they're working towards this idealistic outcome of returning as much water as they can to the Curl um, and recklessly destroying communities up and down the basin. Like, I think the environment's important. I think everybody wants to have a, you know, a sustainable environment for the future. But we also want sustainable communities for the future. And people that live in those communities are part of the environment. And I think if there was green seats or labor seats in the basin itself, we might see a very different outcome. But they seem really hell-bent to just push through this legislation in the current state it is to get some idealistic outcome for future elections that they're going to run for. That's the real worry. Um, and, look, the damage might be done, unfortunately, by the time the next election comes round. even if they don't in any way get through. The concern is that that it happens and it continues to happen and then we get to the point where they're like, okay, well, we, we, we don't know what what it looks like moving forward and your towns are on their knees. It's, it's just a really difficult situation. There is a rally going to take place, and I'm going to give people a bit more information on that, um, the, the concern about it is, um, and that's happening today in the communities of um, Deneliquin, Griffiths and Leeton. So they are marching today and rallying today and we over this controversial water bill. Let's just see what the outcome from that is. But Samantha O'Toole, we really appreciate you, you giving me some time this morning. Um, you, the Mayor of the Boulogne Shire, it's a proud shire. It's based on agriculture. Its fundamentals are hard work and honesty and it. it's what Boulogne has always been. And uh, we just hope that, you know, you guys get the right rub of the green seriously um, over the next couple of months with this and that it doesn't bring your town to its knees. So I really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate an opportunity to talk to you about two really important issues for us. Thank you. Samantha O'Toole, Mayor of the Shire Council. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland today. It's the 21st of November across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Ben Dobbin with you this morning. It's the 21st of November. Now, we talked about this yesterday and I said that I was going to reach out to Daniel Herbert, the new chairman of Rugby Australia, after the debacle that has been the last nine months. And talking to everybody, whether or not you're in Mount Isa, whether or not you're playing out of Dolby or Condamine or up out of Townsville, uh, Longreach, Rugby is in the DNA of regional Queensland. And we've lost connection with our national team. Well, this bloke knows what it's like to play for Australia. 67 tests for his country. He's a World Cup winner in 1999. He's won a 2001 British and Irish Lions series. He knows what it's like to win. Daniel Herbert joins me this morning on Rural Queensland today. Dan, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, Goblin. My pleasure, mate. Um, mate, this is probably not where you expected to be on this Tuesday morning as the new uh, Rugby Australia chair, but I suspect you'd be terribly honoured to be able to take this role. Oh, look, it's a it's a wonderful honour. You know, it was it was not certainly something I didn't cover. I was very happy uh, in the background uh, doing my bit there, uh, but um, I guess the the faith the other director showed in me was, you know, was important. Um, you know, it's, a, it's always a team effort. And uh, I said that if I do put my hand up, then I'm going to I'm gonna require them all to lean in. 
because uh, it's a big job and uh, we've got a lot to do and, and uh, they said they'd all be willing to do that. So, so yeah, look, it's a, it's a huge honour to, to serve the game in this capacity. Anybody that goes for a role um, in this, and, and Hamish McLennan stood down after he, he didn't win the votes, but, you know, at least he, he, put, he put his hand up, he wanted to be involved, he tried to make a difference, it didn't work. But y- you've seen the game at its best. We talk about 99. I remember as a, as a kid in 91 at boarding school getting up in the middle of the night to watch our heroes win their first World Cup. Um, we, we, it was ingrained in us. Uh, we knew every single Wallaby player. They were our heroes. And I, I'm not saying since 2003, look, we've had some minor success in, in, in 15, but it, it's whittled away and... Rugby's never been as strong in the bush regionally and, and from club level, you know, I know how proud you are at GPS, but if you go to any of the, the, the suburban clubs in Sydney or in Brisbane, it's a strong. Why is it not as coveted at the moment up at the top end? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons that I'll put it down to and look, everyone will have their own view of things and, and I worked in it for a period of time as well and I, I came to the conclusion that the way that we structure our high performance model uh, has not advanced since we became professional and it's, it's been the same and and that's the same for many sports. The federated model is, is a difficult structure when it comes to high performance. It certainly works from a participation base um, the community game but when you get into high performance it's, you know, you have to uh, you can't afford to have bits of performance leaking out, you know, it comes down to fine margins and the federated uh, model doesn't really align to high performance in my in my view. So what's happened since um, other countries have gotten better? That's one thing. So other yep. countries have got more aligned. New Zealand, after getting knocked out of the uh, 2007 World Cup, they all came together and agreed that the All Blacks winning uh, had such a massive impact on the country, not just uh, on their rugby, but on the country. So that that had to become, I guess, the overarching thing. We have to do. Everyone has to do what's in their own or in the best interest of New Zealand winning. And uh, and since then, we've seen Ireland get extremely organised. They've taken it a step further, Ireland, where everyone in the uh, the Irish provinces actually works for the IRFU. Um, and, uh, and what's happened over there is actually everyone's started to get more successful. So not just the national team who was sitting at number one in the world for, you know, coming from wherever they were, eighth, seventh, eighth, ninth, something like that for many years. They were always a... Not an easy beat, but they're always someone yeah, who sure. just expected to beat. I mean, they're now the, the most clinical team, in my view, in the world. I mean, they're, they're not the most powerful athletes um, getting around, you know, when you compare them to the, the Pacific Island base that, uh, that a lot of the countries in the South Pacific have, but, and South Africa have uh, obviously a different DNA as well. But, uh, but they're extremely clinical, and, and they got that through uh, high-performance alignment. And centralised? Is that the big thing? Like, everybody's talking about this centralisation. So, well, that's, yeah. Yeah, people get scared of that word because they think it's a takeover. But all it means is everyone's everyone's rowing in the right direction or in the same direction. So, uh, you know, people get worried about loss of control and, you know, how will people out of Sydney, you know, how will they manage? You know, it's, it's not about that. It's actually just about everybody trying to align to do the right thing because, you know, the other thing that's happened in, in the meantime, so since the early 2000s, other teams have gotten better organised. Sure. The, the market in the north, the broadcast market in the north has, um, has certainly expanded. Now we're starting to see that come back in the UK where we've had a couple of teams. So, that, you know, by and large, the northern market 
Um, rugby's, rugby's gone very well um, for the majority of that period. You've got a lot of uh, heavy hitters up there, private investment investing into the game and, and paying big salaries, and that's attracting players up there. So that's been a challenge. The other thing that's happened more locally is our domestic rivals, NRL, AFL, you know, have done a very good job and uh, have got coordinated and, uh, you know, and that's that put pressure on in, in various ways. So, you know, I, I still think we're operating to a model that, you know, has been here forever and a day and it's served the game well um, for a long time, but uh, others have now got more organised and that's both our international competitors and our local competitors. The NRL and the AFL have their money because of the TV rights, because they're on free-to-air TV and pay-per-view, and, and there, there's an appetite, and it's growing over a lot of time. And we can go back in history and say, well, you know, when we sold the rights to Foxtel at that stage, we took it off free-to-air. All that's in the past. Mm. We now have a, a, a shortfall. It, it, it's, it, it's very well documented that, that we are by no means Australian rugby. Rugby Australia is in any financial state at the present moment to, to really – be viable, but we need some outside investment. How quickly can that happen? I mean, that's to me, and this is only from what you read and who you talk to, that mm. everybody was saying, well, Hamish McLennan had this outside investment and it was going to happen, and yeah, yeah we've been hearing about that forever and a day. How, how real is it that, how real is our financial position in Rugby Australia and, and, and can it be turned around quickly? Uh, we'll look quickly. I mean, the, you know, we ran a private equity, um, process that, you know, still, um, you know, there was, there was still some way to go in terms of that process, but got to the point where, um, we didn't think it was the right timing and the market was telling us that it wasn't the right timing. So, you know, that, that market came off recently and we had some uh, uncertainty over a few, over a few things, but then, uh, we also have these two big events that you know we don't uh, we don't often get the British Lions and the Home World Cup, so they're two huge capital events, and uh, you know we haven't had that since the early 2000s. So that'll give us that'll give us a good uh, a good treasure chest there to try and uh, invest in the right areas of the game. Now it's you know it's it's hard because we've got very similar revenues to what we had um, I guess some time ago, but we've got a lot more mouths now and yep. uh, you know it used to be men's 15s and women's 7s well there's an expectation now that you invest in both forms of the game for both genders and that's you know that's expensive and then you've got the community game that is always um, you know could always do with more money and then you've got the competition for athletes leaving school and uh, you know that that is a uh, you know a very competitive market so we can't we can't be everything to everyone, and, and trying to do that is, you know, you're gonna, we're gonna send ourselves broke. So, look, we've got, we've certainly got a plan in the short term to, uh, you know, to get us through to those big, two big capital events. But we have to restructure certain aspects of the game, and uh, you know, we're we're starting the conversations around that um, because if we don't, then the money from those two big capital events will be gone. You know within a decade after after having them and we'll be in the same position. So we've we've got to take this opportunity to, you know, take a uh, you know, take a look at how we're how we're currently performing the high performance aspect of the game and uh, make sure that we're one, living within it within our means, but also growing value so that the people who will invest in the game, the broadcasters, the sponsors, see um, see that it's an investable product and to do that also we need to win. You know, winning cures a lot of... That's the uh, biggest thing. I mean, how far off are you? I mean, I understand 
everybody's up Eddie's coaching and I, I get it I, I I get it and it's a results driven business I, I I get all of that but how far are you off winning I, I, at different stages you look competitive in the last 12 months um, there's a lot of players that want to represent the wallabies um, you know, is it closer than we think and and is appointing a coach the first thing that needs to be done and then I suppose then getting it centralized and, and making some decisions. Uh, well, things, what I'd say, dollars, things are never as bad as they seem nor as good as they seem. Yeah. Um, you know, we we wax and wane. Uh, we've been very competitive. I think we've been very competitive. I think I think what happened at the World Cup, you know, there was a lot of change that, you know, that was yeah. brought, up, brought upon the team. And then um, there was a lot of change in terms of the way that uh, Eddie wanted to approach the game um, versus his predecessor. And, and I think they're, they're, in hindsight, you'd probably say there just wasn't the time to do that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, I think it. You know, I think it. Uh, it was difficult for the players. So I think that uh, that's one aspect of it. Um, but uh, you know, I think there's enough. There's a, there's enough good players to turn out and provide a really competitive Wallabies team. And I think uh, you know, I think they've mostly been competitive. You know, we're playing against New Zealand, who is historically the most famous, uh, the most successful. Uh, team in any sport in the world in history. So, you know, New Zealand are a formidable opponent. We've got them in our backyard. We've got to play them all the time. Um, and uh, so, you know, we've got to have everything going you know, in the same direction to beat them because they're very well organised and they're very good and it's a, it's a national sport. So, you know, that's that's something that uh, we need in terms of a coach. I, I just, look, I, I just don't prescribe the notion that a coach is going to fix things. You've got to fix all of the inputs below the coach, and that's the, the pathways, that's the super rugby clubs and academies. Um, yeah. Once you start to get more competitive super rugby clubs, the players get used to winning. They understand what it's like to beat New Zealand teams. You know, it becomes a bit of a habit, and uh, and then the confidence is there. But at the moment, we tend to focus on that coach and bringing a new coach in. And, but if you go back from Rod McQueen to Eddie Jones to everyone that's been uh, in that in that role after, uh, we get less successful generally, um, so it's yeah. you, know, you can't say it's a coach because we had some of the world's best coaches come in who've been successful before and then are successful where they go after. So, so you got to look at the system. I, it makes a lot of sense. It really does. Quickly, and the biggest question: Joseph Swali, does he does he come to a rugby or can like? And, and I mean this genuinely. I mean that's been the sticking point um, that he was signed for all that money. Uh, are we still? I mean, there's a contract there, but are you committed to him coming to, to Rugby Australia or do you try and look at another way and have a chat to his management team and him and see if he's genuinely wanting to come here? Oh, look, I think that's... I think that when it comes to players, I think that's a conversation for the CEO initially. I mean, if he, you know, if he wants to, um, you know, discuss with the management, you know, I'll leave that to Phil. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get involved in, in player discussions. I mean, we've, we've got a contract, we'll honour it. Um, but you know, if there's if there's other ideas out there um, from you know from his side, then we'd hear it. But uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I'm not I'm just focused on the things we can control, and I don't think that's one of them. And uh, you know, we've signed a contract, and, and we'll honour it. I oh, appreciate your time, mate. You, uh, I think we're in the right direction now with you uh, leading the ship, mate. Congratulations on the appointment. Um, you're Thanks. a proud Queenslander and you've done a phenomenal job in everything you've been involved in. Dan Herbert, uh, really appreciate your time and congratulations. Thanks, Bubba. Good on you. We'll take a break. Come back with more Rural Queensland today.
Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network, Tuesday morning, the 21st of November. And I talk a lot about the Royal Flying Doctor Service, how they saved my life. Uh, Back in 2006, uh, without the Royal Flying Doctor Service, I would not be here. And the local RFDS Local Hero Awards um, are open for nominated and anywhere in Queensland with nominations closing on the 12th of December. Now, the big thing about this is we've all got local heroes in our communities and it's important that we raise awareness about these and and try and get some of these stories out there. Well, I'm lucky enough today to have the 2022 RFDS Queensland Local Hero winner. Her name is Emma Jackson. She lives on with her family on Wolverton Station in the Archer River region of Cape York. She joins us this morning. Emma, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, firstly, any rain in your neck of the woods? No, but we did wake up this morning. It's got that sort of eerie, dark feel. So I think there's a 10% chance today, so we'll... We'll keep our fingers crossed. Well, fingers crossed that you do get some. Talk to us about you were nominated um, for your help in saving um, Karen Dolan's life after she suffered the widowmaker heart attack. Would you believe I've had a widowmaker heart attack heart attack as well? I've now got a oh, stent. Really? I've now got a stent put in there exactly yep. in my major artery. But talk to us about uh, Emma. What happened that day, and how quickly you had to operate, and how you went about it. Yeah, so um, we, just to give, I guess, your listeners a bit of an idea, we're about eight hour, an eight-hour drive north of Cairns, so in between Cohen and Weepa. So we're, we're pretty remote. Um, our closest clinic is, is Cohen, and it's about an hour's drive to Cohen and two hours to Weepa. Um, and, yeah, we have friends come up. Karen and Peter come up quite regularly with a little camper van, and they came up just after Christmas, after Boxing Day. They just came up for a few days, and... Um, to get out of town post Christmas, I guess, and um, they have dogs, um, and then they like you know they were sort of transitioning. They weren't transitioning to retirement, but they were taking a bit of a step back um, sure. and letting the son sort of run the business a bit. So they yeah come up a bit more and um, chase a couple of pigs, and yeah, Karen collapsed at the motorbike, um, and Peter thought she just tripped up. Um, so he went over to her, and yeah, she was just sort of lay there with her eyes rolled back. Um, so he wasn't too sure what to do, and I think he started CPR but wasn't skilled. So he just he put her on the back of the motorbike and brought her down to me, and it was about 800 meters a kilometer away. So he brought her down to me and beat the horn, um, and it was about 20 past eight at night, and we were just relaxing playing a card game. And yeah, it was she was on the back of the motorbike at the back door, and you look at her and go, holy heck, she's kind of not really with us. Um, so just grabbed the defib, um, put the defib on her. It took three shocks to get a heart rate. Yep. And um, a static compression. So I've got a few kids. So I had one ring um, to blow. I had one get me a pair of scissors. I had one get me a towel and just threw the orders around and got to work. Um, her, my fear was, oh dear, how long has she been down before Pete brought her to me? Um, but she didn't go blue. She didn't. Her lips didn't go blue. Um, whilst her eyes rolled back and she looked unconscious, it was a case of you just keep going, keep going, keep going, and you go hard. Um, and it had been, it had been a bit of rain, um, so I was nervous putting her on the ground with a defib. Um, so when I thought, yeah, okay, now back onto the ground because we're doing compressions on the back of the motorbike, 
and put her on the ground and just carried on going until the ambulance got here. Um, she she slowly, you could see the circulation, you could see her start to move and grow a little bit as, as you know, half an hour into CPR. So that's how we kind of were judging that this is, this is working, this is doing something, there's definitely circulation. I just carried on going until the ambulance got here, which took about an hour, an hour and a bit yeah. because of the rain. Yep. Um, so just kept on going. Um, and then when they got here, it took them about an hour, even then, just to get her in a position that she was safe to travel. And then my husband had to drive the ambulance while they just sort of monitored and worked with her um, and, and I guess kept it stable because um, RFDS were keen to come into Cohen and land. So then, yeah, it was just, it was just every single step was in, important, um, was critical to, to her life. So there was certainly a team, and it was sort of like a, a bit of a relay. Um, and, yeah, every step every step was important. And, look, she's not made a full recovery. She's made a near-full recovery, but I don't know if you do. I, I don't know if you ever recover from the trauma of, of, of that experience, and particularly for Peter. Yeah. Um, Very so, difficult. But you saved yeah. a life. You saved a life. And being so isolated, I suspect that um, you, you you have to do these first aid courses. You have to, you know, have a defib there. That, that's just part and parcel of where you live and, and what you do. But never in your wildest dreams do you think that you'd, you have to activate that, I suppose. And so in that moment, um, it's fight or flight, isn't it, in those, a lot of those situations? Because you, you prepare, but you never realise that you're actually going to utilise it. Yeah, absolutely. And we'd got the diesel a couple of years prior and it and it sits on top of a wardrobe where everyone knows where it is, everyone can see it and you take it for granted. You take it for granted that you'll never ever you just never ever think, Oh yeah. Um and Karen hadn't had health issues, so it was completely out of the blue. Um but yeah, definitely an eye opener, definitely a learning curve and if she, we didn't have the defib, she wouldn't be here. It's Unbelievable. Um, local Hero Awards, the nominations are open right now, and it's the Royal Flying Doctors Local Hero Awards, recognising Queenslanders who go above and beyond to support their communities. Now, the exceptional Queensland, one winner will receive a $20,000 grant provided by Ergon Energy Retail to create and support a health and well-being initiative in the community. Emma, what did you do with your win? Talk, talk to us about that story. Well, this is what's really awesome, the collaboration between Ergon and Energy Retail and, and RFDS. Um, and in the little video, I watched it back, the, the video clip that RFDS put together, and the word I use was enabling. It's it's powerful. So to receive a $20,000 grant to, to use how you choose. Um, so a few couple of years ago, um, I basically started working with horses and people and kids and doing equine-assisted learning. Um, so I've been on a cattle station. It's I've got a sort of psychology degree. I've got I'm a qualified teacher. How can I weave all this together with animals? So I studied my animal-assisted learning. And I said to RFDS, well, why don't we partner with that 20 grand and create a program that we can offer for free to adults um, but bring a mental health clinician so that we can, we can stretch the individuals a little bit. We can take them to a place where we could bring up some trauma or continue with a service provided by RFDS to give them any emotional support. Um, so we ran a few programs, one each month through the dry season this year, with um, an RFDS clinician coming, and it was a two-day program being offered for free. So people from anywhere across Banal Queensland could come, and they stayed overnight and were well looked after, and we did a two-day program. 
Um, and it and it was life changing for them to one get away from life, get away from the chaos, but then come here and work with myself and a professional, um, well, two professionals, and um, yeah, awesome. so that's how we spent the twenty grand. Awesome, I love it, and I think it's so such a worthy, worthy way to spend the money. The Royal Flying Doctors Service Local Hero Awards. Now you just go to rfdslocalhero.com.au and you can nominate a Queenslander who you think goes above and beyond to support their local community. $20,000 to the winner. What a great story. Emma Jackson, I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, you are a hero. And you didn't do it for this award. You did it because that's just what you do. But you are a hero, and congratulations. Thank you so much. I hope you get some rain. Have a great Christmas and wet season. Thanks, Ben. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back. This is Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, What a great story this is. The Akubra brand, the iconic brand Akubra, has now been sold after 147 years. If ever there's been a couple... Now, they're not together, um, who have committed, and I mean that committed to keeping these iconic Australian brands together, it is absolutely the Forrests. Twiggy, Andrew Forrest, and his ex-wife, Nicola, have now recently purchased a Cobra, the iconic brand. After 147 years in the Kia family. Now, Twiggy and Nicola have obviously separated, but they bought the Akubra through a private investment company called Tatarang. In a written statement, they said it was to continue the company's commitment to local manufacturing and to ensure companies like Akubra remain Australian-owned both protecting and creating new jobs in the regions. Now, Akuba is a major employer in the Maclay Valley with 120 people working in a purpose-built factory. It's been operating out of Kempsey since 1972. And what an unbelievable story Akuba is. We've all worn one. It's a five-generation business. And Nicola Forrest, she grew up on a farm between Mudgee and Dubbo, said she's committed to protecting their legacy. She grew up in regional New South Wales and her parents taught her lifelong lessons of hard work and resilience. Her father um, said he tireless and he had energy and measured it and it was measured by the sweat on the Akubra. And that's how it, she remains etched in her memory. And I love that. I do love that. And we've all been there. You looked at a hat and you seen, gee whiz, he's worked hard. Outgoing chairman of Akubra, board of directors, Stephen Keir, said the family chose to sell the Tatarang because they wanted custodians who would protect and invest in their company. And this is what it's about. It just needs to stay Australian. They thought long and hard about the business and the five generations of family ownership. But you've got to remember now that the forests own not only Akubra, but they also invested in local manufacturing with RM Williams.
They went and bought RM Williams and they've changed the brand. They've made sure that they are leading Australia's two iconic brands, RM Williams and now Akubra, and that they are staying local. This is, to me, the biggest show of strength by both Andrew and Nicola. Now, we spoke with Dan Herbert a little earlier, and obviously they have been linked to Australian Rugby Union. Now, we understand what Gina Reinhart does and her commitment to different sports, but I tell you what, these guys, the Forests, make no mistakes. They are iconic. Iconic what they are doing. To go and buy RM Williams to make sure that, it, that it's viable and it stays local, and then to go and also buy a Cobra, that says to me that they want to protect Australian jobs. They want to protect Australian businesses. And they want to make sure that everybody, everybody understands that we're not selling to overseas. It makes sense and it really, to me, makes my heart feel so much better because of things like this. Akuba is an iconic brand. They sell handcrafted hats and they are an iconic part of what has been a long list of, for a long, long time, for a long time, a long list of Australian companies that have remained here. Why would they ever, ever, ever let it go overseas? Well done to Andrew and Triggy Forrest. I, I just think it's, it, was, it was a story that we had to talk about. It was a story that I wanted to touch on. It made so much sense that they've gone down this road. And I'm just so pleased. Um, and I'm so pleased that people um, like Andrew and Twiggy Forrest are in there. Now, we can talk about some rain um, and, and just the reports throughout um, the weekend, just talking. There has been, you know, locally around the Maranoa up to 20 to 30 through there, nothing towards in June. Um, two inches over the weekend, um, two to four over the central, mostly Emerald Alpha, Lockington, behind Springshore, down through the Carnarvons. There's been nothing in Capella, Dysart, Middlemount Way. But some good rain around there. Uh, Bolland had 80 to 120 mil. St George, 60 to 90 mil. Gatton, 50 to 70 mil. Dolby has had 50 to 65 mil for two days. And um, it could bump up even more to 80 mil. Condamine has missed out at the moment. So some of these downs, it's all been storm rain. Not everybody's getting it. And uh, it's been very, very difficult um, to to try and navigate. It's interesting, though, uh, that the bomb, um, they're trying to predict some rain, you know, you know, still leaving a lot of people disappointed. The Bureau of Meteorology made models last week that said it was going to be significant rain for the year in some inland regions. Well, not everybody got it, you know. It was 87 mil at Gundawindi, but, you know, you, you look at different areas, they've had nothing right next door, all storm rain. So I don't know, I don't know moving forward what happens, but I do know that the rain 
has been disappointing in different areas. And I can tell you there's a lot of people who are upset at the moment because they haven't had the rain. We will have a look at it. We'll keep you updated um, and we'll make sure that everybody, everybody, um, there was 34 mil at Pittsworth. Um, you know, there's been different different rain in a lot of areas. 47, you know, three mil of rain at Wandowan. They predicted 50. So this is where it's the dramas. You know, Mergen, last night, 14 mil. You talk about those kind of areas. Like, so they're not really... They're not really filling in where everybody says it was going to. People will miss out. People will be disappointed. 87 mil at Forest Hill at Gatton, uh, but nothing nothing up north. So we'll keep you updated with all of that. We'll take a break, come back. This is Rural Queensland Today. You're with Ben Dorman. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. That's it from us here this morning, um, and I hope you've enjoyed the show. We're back tomorrow morning from 9am, Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. A really uh, big day um, for everybody today. There's lots of rain around. Still in places, uh, it's not everywhere. So our thoughts are with you. If you are getting some rain, uh, please enjoy We'll be back tomorrow morning from 9am. Bill McDonald joins you next. Stay safe on the roads and remember when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. It's bye for now.